Oh, I can. Oh, actually. <coughs> it was not on silent. There we go. Okay, guys, we are rolling into another episode of the Candace Owens show. I have a lot on my mind. You guys know I am in my London studio at the moment. And right now, I am considering the topic of multiculturalism, or the idea that a bunch of different cultures can sort of exist in the same society peacefully uh, without any disruption. Here to discuss all things multiculturalism with me is Carl Benjamin. I know you guys were getting at me for not properly introducing my my guest, so I'll say Carl is a YouTuber. Um, he's been banned from some social media platforms, which we'll get into in a bit as well. Carl, welcome to the Candace Owen Show. Thank you very much. And you you also go by online, uh, Sargon... Of Akkad, yes. Sargon of Akkad. So if you can't find him, it's because he's under Sargon yes. of Akkad. Okay, so we were just talking about this a little bit in the green room. I was telling you that I did an interview. So here I am in London. I spent a considerable amount of time in London about 10 years ago uh, when I was working in private equity. And I would say about, about three months spell I was out here and... Um, 10 years later, I can say that the demographics of London have changed. It just looks different than it did before. Um, and I was telling this to an interviewer. I was saying to the guy that, you know, it's it's a lot more Muslim. Now, there's a lot, obviously a larger Muslim population here. And he was just floored and, 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 and sensed that I would sort of say this out loud. And it was basically saying that to suggest that the, the, the culture is shifting in London mm. is Islamophobic. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Um uh, there's quite a lot to to talk about there because I think um, this this really came to the fore the other day when Monty Python comedian John Cleese said that uh, London is no longer an English city. And who said all, this? John Cleese. John Cleese, uh, famous comedian. Um, and by all by all metrics, that's a true statement. If we consider a city to be representative, if you know, if you were to describe a French city, you would describe it as being mostly French. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's bound to be a foreign population of some form, but presumably it's a minority population which gives it a French character because you know, some French city it looks French, it acts French. The people in there are mostly French. That's how we determine what kind of city is what, surely. Um, and the the white English are now a minority in London. Uh, it's not that Muslims are a majority, it's that non-English people are a majority there. And as soon as you say that, you get this kind of howling disbelief. How could you say that? That's racist, that's exclusionary, or something like this. It's like, yeah, but that is also what the numbers show. And John Cleese committed the heresy of just pointing that out. Um, I think that it's something to do with recognising the English as a people. That's a strange thing, right? Because, mm. I mean, you're a foreigner, right. see? Do you recognize an English person when you see one? Yes, oh. I do. And how do you recognize them? The <laughs> accent, the way right? They, the, yeah, the, yeah, the mannerisms the, and yeah, exactly the, the way they are. They're they're, they're different. Even the to way Americans. they dress. I mean, there's just there's just a cultural difference. I mean, now when I say cultural difference, it, we're still a part of Western civilization, yeah, so sure. uh, these these differences don't really amount to much between the Ameri- you know Americans and and the Brits. Yeah, yeah. But there are differences. But, and you can tell this. Right. I mean, you know, anyone watching will know who the American and who the Englishman is <laughs> in this conversation. <laughs> Except in England, where it seems kind of uh, verboten to say that the English are a people, because as soon as you say that, then you realise that there is actually something about England that is unique, that the rest of the world doesn't have. And I think it's the uh, sort of progressive, quite radically leftist, multicultural, uh, proud European types who are 
very much pro the European Union and like the idea of London being a world city, they're the ones who react negatively when you point out, well, it's not an English city anymore. Because essentially, that's that's an admission that there was something there that they have overtaken. And that makes them sound belligerent. That makes them sound like they have an agenda for the country that is frankly not in the interests of the people who already live there. And I think it's that that makes them howl in rage when you say that London isn't an English city. Uh, yeah, and I mean, what I he was, I guess, kind of going through all of my tweets, because that's what people love to do, and find one that they consider yeah. to be inflammatory. And um, I have been looking at the models, and a lot of the models have been predicting uh, that by 2050, maybe a little later, there's some dispute regarding when, but event- eventually, uh, this Europe will actually be a Muslim-majority continent, just according to the birth rate. I mean, these are just yeah. facts, right? So this is not these... They're looking at just the, the birth trends, and, and it just turns out the Englishmen aren't having as many kids as the Muslims are having. That's just a fact and and something that you should be able to contend with because it's the truth. And I don't believe the truth can ever be inflammatory. Um, And so to call that Islamophobic, it's like, no, that's just Islamorealistic, right? I'm just saying, I don't have a horse in the race. I'm American, right? So I'm just saying that this might be something you want to talk about. And and what I was also, what I also just in in terms of saying why this is something that politicians should be talking about, because I know it's on the mind. I do a lot of, you know, speaking events here Mm -hmm. in London and in the UK. Um, It's different because we also have, I guess you could say, a migrant crisis in America in terms of people flooding over our border in the South, right? But the difference is, is that if everybody from South America flooded into America, we would still recognize our culture because Americans are similar. Like we we dress the same as people dress in Mexico. Um, yes, it's a, it's a different language. So you, you would definitely notice some changes, but it's not as much of a, I guess, a, a, as a threat as it is, I think, in terms of the migrant crisis that's happening in Europe, which Angela Merkel is now speaking about. And, you know, in Swedish, you're saying that they have a rape culture yeah. and they just, they have a different system a different belief system when you talk about you know Syria to allowing Syrian migrants to flood the borders and that yeah. that conversation <clears throat> makes people uncomfortable do we have a a culture that can coexist with the culture that we we are merging with right now um in this city in this country it's a discussion i don't know the answer so um as a as a foreigner to the americas i would say uh, there's a noticeable difference between mexican and American culture. I mean, I, I'm, you know, very, I, it's obvious, I can see it, you know, and I, I realize that maybe when you're a lot closer to it, maybe the, the distinctions seem a lot more blurred and overlapped. But um, to, to me as an outsider, I, I think they're very noticeably different. Mm. Um, but it's, it is something that really has to be contended with here. But the thing is, this is, this has been part of the diversity agenda. I mean, like every, and the thing is, the birth rates aren't even that much of a problem, really, because the Muslim communities actually do still succumb to the sort of same first world effect when they end up moving here. So like two or three generations down the line, you'll find that Muslim uh, people, uh, uh, descendants of immigrants, don't have as many children. They have like 2.2 children oh, per family. Oh, interesting. Because it's, it's a consequence of wealth, frankly. And, it, and wealth is a liberating factor. Uh, you're not I mean, in, in, in poor countries, they have to have lots of children for to overcome the child mortality rate and then to look at what's going to happen to them in their old age. Mm-hmm. They're going to need their children to support them in their old age. So they don't have a welfare state or pensions or anything like this. Um, but we do here. And so it just generally changes people's um, attitudes. So I'm actually not too worried about the birth rate per se. For me, it's mass immigration that's the problem. Because every year we let in 600,000 people, of a, a net who remain of that is 300,000. Um, and that, and we're, we're an island, you know, we're a small island. Really. Right. We, we don't have an unlimited amount of space. And we're one of the most crowded places in all of Europe anyway, especially if you come to the southeast, which, as you can see in London, is massive. So it's one of those things where 
really it's just the raw numbers of people that are coming in that are the problem really and it is doing damage to the social fabric of the country and the the question of the burqa really is the the one that's on everyone's mind at the moment but nobody really wants to speak about it because the sort of person who wears a burqa is a religious fanatic like that's not a moderate average muslim the in fact the burqa is banned in many muslim countries because it's a symbol of religious extremism it's how isis would have their women live and so when you have these women wandering around wearing it and the men in thobes and things like this i mean you have to ask well what's their objection to how isis runs a country you know what would they say if isis came in and took over they'd be like well that's wrong because what women shouldn't wear a burqa we shouldn't implement sharia you know what's your objection to what isis are doing um and this is again like in syria for example when isis have been rolled back you see the videos of the women throwing off the burqas you know they're liberating themselves from in this extreme imposition which isn't even really technically islamic right you know it doesn't say this in the quran or the hadith that women have to be head to toe just letterbox uh viewing available it it's just cover your chest effectively you know which to be fair is not a particularly you know not a particularly stringent requirement um and so this this is this is a bit of a problem and many european countries like uh, denmark and france have just outright banned the burqa and honestly I don't blame them. I really don't. Yeah. Because it is a symbol of a kind of cultural uh, imperialism from the East uh, in a particularly repressive and dogmatic way. And I think that's something that we should be trying to resist. But the thing is, because we're very, we are very liberal in the sort of classical sense in, in England still, we think that the state shouldn't be telling you how to dress. We think that it's inappropriate to have a commentary on one another. And it could be a form of like intimidation or oppression or something like this. Um, it's pretty ridiculous because the state already tells you how to dress. They say you can't be naked, for example. Right. You know, they, you know, and I think that maybe that, you know, that's one extreme. But how about the other extreme where you're entirely covered? Because one of the things about British culture is we're a high trust society and that requires us to see each other's faces. Mm -hmm. If we can't see our faces, um, we instinctively think that that person is doing something suspicious. Mm. Like if you if you walk into a bank with a, a motorcycle helmet on, if you walk around with a balaclava, um, you'll be treated as if you're some sort of terrorist. You know, people are like, oh God, what's this guy doing? You know, why is he why is he covering his face? And I think there's a there's a good good reason for that. That's funny you say that because I, people always ask me, oh, what are you realizing now that you're marrying a Brit? Some of the cultural differences yeah. in in New York, people wear sunglasses all the time, inside outside. New York is just kind of like a sunglass place. And I came yeah. here and I was wearing my sunglasses and the sun wasn't out. And my fiance was like, why are you wearing your sunglasses? Yeah. And I thought he was just saying like, hey, the sun's not out. Then I went in the subway and he was like, you need to take your sunglasses off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> No, no, going no. to myself, why is this a because thing you here? Look suspicious. And he that's literally what he told yeah. me. He said it's because you look suspicious. This is not <laughs> it, culturally, it's a bit weird for people to have their sunglasses yeah. on. And it, it, as this guy is asking me this question, like, how could this not be interpreted as Islamophobia? I lived with a with a Muslim. One yeah. of my best friends is Muslim, but she's from Canada. So she's a westernized, she's westernized yeah. Muslim, and she makes comments all the time about, you know, Muslims that come from the Middle East. And she's like, Oh, she, she actually says this. I'm not that kind of Muslim. So this is a Muslim person who um who goes to mosque every Saturday, who is acknowledging yeah. that there are cultural differences, and yet you have these these white English, you know, reporters who can't acknowledge that there are cultural differences. You're bringing in something that is a bit different, um, and you're going to have to eventually contend with these changes if this is going to be sort of a mass, you know, a mass migration. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'm, I'm not, I think it's it's worth a discussion for them to be able to have the discussion, see how people feel about that. I'm not... Hang on a sec. So the, I, I find it very interesting when you say they, they can't contend with these cultural differences. Where, and that's, I'd, that's 
essentially kind of not true. It's implicit in the doctrine of multiculturalism that there must be cultural differences between different groups. Otherwise, what are you multiculturally? Right, you're you know? right. So that it is implicit in that, and it it really, I think, um, I actually, I am actually coming to the conclusion. I think multiculturalism is actually a form of white supremacy. Um, and Ooh, I like yeah, this. Yeah, now I, I can I can back this up. Right, so um, the the implicit assumption seems to be that in English individualist liberalism, right, which not American liberalism, obviously, because your liberals are communists. Um, <laughs> no, they are. Every single one of them is a communist. Yeah. You should call them that to their faces. I call them communists the entire um, time. Look at, look at Carlos Maza, for example. I mean, he, he literally in his Twitter bio has, you know, Marxist pig. Tucker Carlson is a white supremacist. And it's all right. Oh, God. Lispy queers of the world unite, I guess. But um, so, yeah, the the thing about English individualism is it is about the primacy of the individual. You know, you are a sovereign individual and you should be uh, you should be free to have as much self-determination of your life as possible. Now, that to us seems like a universal value, but that's not universal. It's actually very English speaking. So the English speaking countries hold that as a high value, the highest value, probably. Um, but there are other countries that don't see that as a value, and they actually see that as being destructive or degenerate or something like this. They see submission to Islam as being a high value, or you know, whatever you know, the commitment to the family and things like this. You know, these are these are other values above the primacy of the individual that other cultures actually contend with and and, how, and hold, and they don't believe what we believe. And so, when you're saying, "Oh, well, we can be multicultural," what you're saying really is our sort of English individualism is the chessboard. And every other culture is a piece on the chessboard, but we are the board because we are the bit that on which everything else can happen because, frankly, we're better than them. That's effectively what they're saying. Um, they don't agree. They don't see themselves as being inferior to us. But that's kind of how the, the, the white Western left view them as, like, just inferior. Oh, well, they can just have their little piece there and then they'll have their little piece there and all around the bits that connect them all, that'll be us, you know, but as if we're above them. But why why, why do you think there's this push for it, this push for multiculturalism? Why can't there just be, a re like, realistic conversations? Why do they have a problem? Like, is there something problematic about the English culture as it is? These are kind of the yeah, questions I have. Yeah. The, the, the problem is we won. That's the problem. Won what? The game of empire. Okay. That was the problem. Okay. So in, in all of human history up until this point, all civilized history was um, one one empire dominating another until various, you know, in this, until they get overthrown. In the, in the great sort of back and forth of human civilization and the flow of power among peoples. And for, I mean, for most of human history, the, the conquering uh, force was an Asian man with brown skin. Uh, he came in with a, a sword and he cut off the heads of the people who opposed him. That was the 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 general, you know, if you're going to choose like an average conqueror throughout history, that's what it looked like. Um, but it, and it was only towards sort of the 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 end of the Middle Ages and onwards, where the Europeans actually started developing a technological edge on their international rivals, and so the Europeans ended up winning the game of empire. They ended up creating. I mean, it finished with essentially the British Empire being the last one standing, and as the world hegemon until World War Two. And now we assume that the Westerners, we, we assume that it was inevitable that that was the case, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't inevitable that was the case. And it was, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears and intense competition between different peoples. Um, and so they, because we were the ones left holding the ball at the end, they're kind of assuming that, well, we were always destined to be left holding the ball at the end. Mm -hmm. It was never going to be the Turks or the Chinese or someone else. And it's like, well, I think that, again, is an innately superior, uh, innately um, uh, 
supremacist narrative. Right. You know, the idea that it could only have been the white people. Right. So, well, no, we, it, was, it was always up in the air, you know. We didn't know how it was going to come down. And it, it wasn't due to a lack of respect for our enemies that this was done. It was, it was done because we respected the strength and capability and power of these other cultures that we had to fight for so hard for ourselves. And so, essentially, there's been a kind of hollowing out of the moral legitimacy of the West because we've looked around and said, well, I mean, we're not going to say we're better than these people, are we? And it's like, well, no, we just won. <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's not that we're better than them. You it's, just happen to yeah, be the winner. Exactly. Right. You know? And, and, it, all and it's sorts not on the basis of, of the color of your skin exactly, or the language no, no. that you speak. You just won. Exactly. And it, exactly. And it's a, it's a very, very complex confluence of circumstances that led to them losing and us winning. And for, for millennia before, we were the ones who were losing. You know, we, mm-hmm. you, can, you can look at the, the medieval expansion, expansion of the Islamic empires and say, well, okay, you know, they're the superior race. If modern history had started there, they'd be left holding the ball and they'd be the ones going, oh God, you know, are we, are we actually, super-? I mean, they probably wouldn't care actually. Right. But, you know, <laughs> like, they'd probably say, well, yes, that's true. Get used to it. But the, the, the fact that it was the, the English speaking world that was kind of left in charge of the world is very interesting because one of the primary values of the English speaking cultures is fairness. And it doesn't seem fair that we won in retrospect. You know, because you can look back at the bad things that have happened in history. And all empires have done bad things. And, you know, English-speaking empires have been no different, obviously. Um, and we look back and go, well, was that fair? Well, no, of course it's not fair. Empire isn't a fair game, which is why we don't well, play Life it. isn't fair if you, well, no. get, if you want to get course, to yeah. it. Yeah, but, but, but empires are not fair, obviously. They're about cultural supremacy of one culture or one racial group over other groups. That's what an empire is by definition. And so, of course, it's not a fair game, but that's why we don't play it now. You know, that's that's why we don't do it. We've realized that we don't have to do it this way. You know, independent sovereign nations are probably a good thing to continue to exist in peace with, you know, trade amongst their neighbors. Right. That's a much more fair way. And so we're looking at it from a position where we essentially feel like historically they've been treated unfairly and it's been by our ancestors that have done it. And so now we must essentially... We're, we're essentially going against their own values. Okay, so what we're doing really here is now we're tapping at the door of white guilt, the phenomenon oh, yeah. of white guilt, yeah, which yeah. is, yeah. to me, it's so bizarre and it's complex. Take it from me as, as someone who's a black American who's supposed to be loving this, a white guilt and tail in between the legs mentality, yeah. um, and now going back and essentially saying, there's something wrong with the color of my skin. It's weird to watch. It really oh, is, like, it is. Just outside looking in. It's weird to watch because <laughs> I, I could never imagine waking up and just being like, I'm so sorry for being black. Like, I just, I could never do it. There would never be a day where I go, I I'd like to apologize for being a woman and for being black America. I just, I don't have that in me. There's a natural sense yeah. of, you know, of pride. And, and yet we're seeing people that are conditioned to feel this way before they even leave high school. Yeah. Um, and they, that there's something inherently wrong because they were, they were just sort of born with the wrong color of skin or born into the, born into the wrong country. Um, Again, and it's an inherently supremacist narrative. It is. It, to, you're, to you're exactly right. That white people need to feel guilty because they won this game. You're almost, you is, have to accept that white people are better than you. It, exactly. That's Otherwise, why I why say about the black, that's that's why I say to black Americans is that, you know, to have to be accepting this pandering that's going on, mm. you have to already accept the white liberal, and I'm talking about American yeah. liberal narrative, that they are better than you. And I yeah. refuse to accept that. So yeah. I'm a conservative. And and I say, no, thank you. I, I don't mm-hmm. consider myself a victim. And they almost, you know, they, they almost lose their lunch. It's like, you know, excuse me. Um, and, and that is what you realize is that when you do reject that, when you mm. reject that mentality and you see how angry they get, that you can't oh, yeah. accept your status as a victim, that lets you know that they're not doing it. Uh, 
uh, because they feel bad for you. They're doing it because they think they're better than you. Yeah, and when you don't accept that they, the, the, the white liberal is uh, superior to you, to you, they get angry. They it's hate like, me. Sorry, am I questioning your superiority right. over me? What are you so angry about? Right. You know? Shouldn't this be what you want? Shouldn't you want yeah, black but, Americans to walk around with their heads held high and feeling confident? No, you don't want yeah. that because that doesn't make you feel superior. Exactly. So you're right. You're, you, it you know is, it is a form of white supremacy. And you know they do this because there was a study that showed uh, recently that, um, that left-wing people, white left-wingers in America, speak uh, in more... Uh, simplified sentences when dealing with minorities. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, you can't say that you don't feel yourself to be superior if you're going to dumb yourself down when talking to the inferior They all do it. They all do it. Hillary Clinton did it. She had a whole, you know, scandal where she was saying, I'm feeling ain't no types of ways. (laughs) And suddenly she turned into a southerner slave. We have AOC. I mean, she's not white, but did you see when she had her black scent, as I've been calling it? Um, And it's the exact same thing. They jump into this role where it's, well, I have to speak um, an Ebonic so they won't be able to understand me. have to, to speak with slang and an accent it's so it's so insulting it's, 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 it is it is just I the just, truest form of yeah. you know i'm more superior than you you won't be able to understand this unless i try to communicate this in a way yeah, yeah. Uh, that yeah. you lesser educated yeah. people and, and they would literally say it's onto. because i'm white and you're not right and i mean and listen <laughs> a perfect example of that is how do i change the way i speak when i'm speaking to toddlers right so like if, when yes. i used to nanny i'd say okay time to go to bed because i actually am saying yeah. that i'm an adult and i can i can grasp the english language better than this child can be right yeah. So, um, and, and to know that they're doing that to people that are the same just because of the color of their skin, you think you're superior. You do, yeah. And, and that, that is innately it. And, um, and basically, the, the implied inferiority of foreign cultures is why the West, I think, has essentially lost the moral conviction in its own values. And that's really disappointing because I think Western values are the best. They are. Um, there's, there's no the question. The West is of the it. best. It is. It, there's no question of it. The East um, is the least. <laughs> I'm just rhyming, guys. Don't take it. Don't take it personally or seriously. Well, it, it's, it's not to say there aren't, you know, good cultures in these areas yeah. or anything like that. But as as a system of values that produces a sort of a harmonious, productive, uh, prosperous culture, I think that Western liberalism is the best option. I think that it's been demonstrable. It's just demonstrable. History has proven this. The statistics will show it. The fact that everyone's trying to migrate to our countries and not to theirs is just further evidence that we, yeah, we do have. I think a, a better system of values. And, and more think, opportunities yeah. because of our values. We, we present better opportunities Absolutely. for people, um, which is not based on the color of the skin. It's yeah. based on what they're willing to put out yeah. and to see like what we create be demonized. And at the same time, they're mm. insisting like the, the, the that's sort of the great paradox of, of the leftist mentality in America, where it's like, we are the most racist, sexist, bigoted, awful, misogynist country in the world. But open our borders and let everybody yeah. in because they want to come in. Want, why would you encourage them I'm like, to come guys, here? let's build the wall to, you know, to contain ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we don't to want to contaminate yeah. the rest of the world, yeah. right? So to that's that's what Trump us. should do. Yeah. He should he should do a complete 180 in 2020 and say, we're gonna build the wall yeah, yeah. to make sure that we don't contaminate the rest of the world. Because you're right, I've it's learned. It's our duty, right? You know, <laughs> we've got to protect duty. them from us, right? You know? Exactly. That would that would be imagine the meltdown that they would have. They'd have to acknowledge that. But yeah, exactly. We're actually a good good thing. We're actually you know? a good thing. That's the th- that is the thing. And I, and you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about political correctness and mm. actually the differences that I'm acknowledging or starting to realize now between political correctness and just being polite. Mm. So the British culture here, another cultural difference yep. here, is that you guys are tremendously uh, polite. 
polite. Yes. And when I say polite, I mean, you don't always say what you mean. Uh, that's that's, true, that's yeah. a part of the British spirit. I'm like, that's what he said. I'm not sure if that's exactly what he meant. Yeah. Um, but I think that what's sort, kind of starting to be conflated is the idea of being polite versus being politically correct. Because yeah. one is just, okay, I'm going to be polite. I see, you know, a clinically obese person sitting there. I don't need to go up to that person and say, hi, you're really, really fat, right? Yeah. Um, but political, political correctness then says that we shouldn't even talk about the fact that being fat mm -hmm. can lead to heart attacks and papers. We should we should instead create the fat acceptance movement, right? And I think that the dangers of the British culture is that you sometimes conflate being polite, which is not exactly um, avoiding uh, avoiding a truth, but mm. with uh, political correctness, which is that you guys are actually now kind of creating lies. Like like I said oh, when yeah. I had this interview with this guy about like just the demographics changing. Yeah. So the 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 thing about being polite is it's uh, circumstantial and it's contextual. So. It could be um, a polite thing to ignore the fact that like someone has something on their teeth or right. something. But it could also be, if you know that they're about to go into an interview, say, it would be the polite thing to say, look, you know, I'm sorry to say that you got something, you know, I know, you know. And so it, it's contextual. It's not just uh, an objective statement that someone can be uh, trained into and then expected to, in all circumstances, follow the same rule sets. But political correctness is, they actually, you know, there's a particular dogma there, and that holds true for wherever you are, whenever you are. Um, it's always politically incorrect to, you know, be against fat studies or whatever it is, you know. Um, but also, the the idea behind political correctness and politeness, they're, they're just, they've just got very different roots. Because political correctness inherently and Im implicitly assumes that everyone is a political actor at all times. And so if you have to be politically correct, that means you're constantly being watched as a political actor. Now, that, that erases the distinction between the public and the private life. You know, I shouldn't have to be expected to be politically correct in my private life because I'm not being political unless you think that everything is political, which the radical left do, and therefore you can never get away from it. So you've, you've allowed these effectively totalitarians to politicize every area of your life at all times. Whereas I can be nice if I want, or I can not be nice if I want, depending on the circumstance, depending on who I'm talking to. Um, and there are no particular consequences other than the reaction from the person that I'm talking to. There's no outside force that's going to come in and say, well, you weren't nice, therefore we're going to take away your Twitter account or you lose your job or something like that. But because political correctness is a dogma and it does have defined rules, they can absolutely do that. So it's it's quite a terrifying uh, thing when they try to sell. It's just about being nice. It's like well, you don't get to define that, right? Well, well, well I, I think what, what I makes me nervous nice. here is that it's it almost is just as if, and I'm talking about just in terms of, of reading what's being put out there, mm. it's you're just diluting the population in terms of what's actually going on, right? So it's oh, yeah. it, it becomes an easier an easier layup for them just to be yeah. politically correct is not acknowledge hard truths. And oh, yeah. this is what I actually think political correctness lays the groundwork for people like Nigel Farage and for Donald Trump to come through because then they just blow door, they open, they blow open the doors and they just start telling the truth, yes. you know, just start saying hard facts and saying, we're bringing in dangerous people at the border and then, oh! The politically correct crowd just can't contend with the idea of ever saying anything against an immigrant. Um, and yet people are suffering in communities because nobody is willing to actually talk about what's happening. Yep. Um, and so it becomes kind of this um, this force against truth tellers. And, and yes. this is how that we're seeing seep now into social media, which brings us to you being banned. Well, the, it, the, the whole thing with political correctness, it... it it was an invention of the Soviet Union, and it was ironic as well, because the idea that, you know, you were being uh, correct according to the politics of the Communist Party that was running it, or you can be correct to reality as you're experiencing it, which is why the Chernobyl uh, documentary, you know, there wasn't graphite on the ground, you didn't see graphite on the ground. 
even though the guy's holding a sort of thing. Great, um, great documentary. Uh, well, great show on show, HBO. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. But it essentially kind of is a documentary in the way that um, this kind of idealistic uh, political conception of the world ends up domineering over the actual real experiences of the people living under it. Um, you can say this thing has happened because you can see it, but if the, the, po the politics of where you're living doesn't accept that, then you'll find yourself as some kind of revolutionary. And this is essentially right. why I keep getting banned from social media. Right. Yeah. You get. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because that's what it is. It's. It, it created the groundwork. This. This kind of lie is what I feel like America yeah. was. This. Yeah. This great big lie. Right. When Obama was in office, oh, we achieved success. We achieved everything we wanted. Now everything's fine because we have a black. We have a black president. It and got yet worse. people. It got worse. The economy was going <laughs> yeah. worse. Uh, the racial tension that I never felt growing up suddenly was at the forefront. Mm -hmm. We had you know the war on police officers. Things were yeah. actually going terribly. And it sort of took this guy to say no more political correctness i'm calling what's what and laid yeah. the groundwork for him to come and just explode everything and it was so needed and it was so refreshing um and yet bizarrely you still have people trying to sort of force this narrative down everyone's throats and it becomes this sort of oh well there's just more racists than we thought or like oh you know what it is it's the radicalization of the internet this happened yeah. we can explain trump it's because of russia we can explain trump and yeah. the maga movement uh, it's because of carl benjamin's youtube right and and they sort of bizarrely it, it's anything it's like to a mental disorder it's just like guys just tell the truth people weren't happy that's it. it it's it it is it is it is a fear of not having a comprehensive narrative for the world and so anyone who falls outside of this narrative must be in some way morally deficient mm. even if they're i mean you know like there was a, a labor mp called naz shah in this country that still is in fact uh who retweeted a a joke parody account uh, that had said in this tweet, um, she didn't realize it was a parody account, uh, grooming gang victims should stay silent for the sake of diversity. And she liked and retweeted this. And so someone pointed out, well, hang on, that that's awful. And that makes you look like you're actually okay with grooming gangs as long as no one says it. And obviously she deleted that and, you know, went on her merry way. But everyone had seen it, the internet never forgets. Right. And so it's everywhere on the internet now. Now Shah, her name was. Um, but that's what political correctness is. You know, so, we, we have a we have a narrative of Islamic immigration into Britain that is all sunshine and roses. <laughs> and if you're being raped by any of these people, then you're not being raped by them. You didn't see graphite on the ground. And right. in fact, you should shut up for the sake that's of diversity. That's exactly right. That's that's exactly the attitude that I yeah. felt this person had, which is like, yeah. there is no graphite on the ground in yeah. London. And I'm sitting yeah, here going, yeah. hey, like, I don't really care. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't live here, but... I just see a piece of graphite yeah. on the ground. That's all. It just looks like what this graphite wasn't here ten years ago. That's all I'm saying. Just saying yeah. it. Yeah. You know? And they start to they start to make it seem like people that have two eyes mm. are just crazy and wrong and immoral. And I'm like, li literally, what 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 we have is just two seeing eyes. That's but, it. But then they'll turn around and say to you, well, okay, well, you explain to me how diversity isn't our strength. You know. And right. I don't know. You know. Yeah, and 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 yeah. and it's really a scary thing when you start saying that the truth is inflammatory mm, mm. That, and that's literally what this this person wrote to me in the email it was like how do you not consider this to be inflammatory how can Don't the care. truth <laughs> be inflammatory it's yeah. like graphite on the ground after chernobyl explosion that's you know it's, it's it would be inflammatory for you to say that you saw graphite okay well it's the truth yeah. right so you, you at a certain point you have to be willing to have these discussions so now we're kind of going into crazy land where they're saying okay 
how do we get the narrative back under control? How do we get people to believe, you know, what we what we're projecting to be going on? And I I actually say, like in terms of CNN, mm. it's kind of the only um, TV or that's broadcasted here over abroad is that you guys get CNN. Yeah. There is no Fox. There no is no other perspective. There, no. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that because no one watches it in America no, no, either. We, our, our media is bad. It's worse than CNN. Okay. Well, here is so what I say. I say to myself, why is CNN still lying about what's happening in America? That's my thing. It's been two years now. People yeah. can see he's he's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. America's great right now, right? It kind of feels oh, yeah. like we're, we're, we're coming back, right? We're roaring. Them, we are. We're roaring. Our economy's roaring. People yeah. are feeling good. There's this, this spirit of patriotism that's come back. Why still lie? Why are you Why are you trying to tell the world that America's under fire? Because and it's their lie. Because it's their, their lie. Their lie. They created it. And if it's not true, then they're not the moral authorities. All of this is about... Their viewership is thinking, what do you have to benefit by this lie anymore? It, because it makes them feel like good people. That's okay. why. They, they, they believe that they are the moral opinion setters of the country. They've And the thing is, they think they've worked out morality. They think, oh, no, no, this is the right thing to do. And it's like, no, not always. You know, like you say, you know, it's, sometimes you've got to come along and say, well, actually, there have been problems. And then, well, what are you doing? You're undermining their entire moral worldview. Yeah. I've said that the, the pure and perfect moralities have handed down from Lord Marx in heaven uh, was this, 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 and this. And if you, if you can show me why that's not true, then I've got to change my entire moral worldview. And the thing is, if I've been sat there saying you are a racist, xenophobic piece of trash, and I've been doing this constantly for X amount of years, uh, publicly, and millions of people have seen it, and suddenly I get some information that shows that actually maybe I'm in the wrong, man, I've got to walk back a lot there. Right. I've got so many apologies to give right. out there, right? And so, I'm, you know that's not even real. You're actually more of a bigot than I thought. Well, you hey, were. look, they're trying on black, white supremacy right now. They exactly. just, I mean, now that it's, you're starting to see, yeah. okay, there's more black support for Trump. It's like, well, we'll just call everybody yeah. that's supporting him a black, white supremacist. What's <laughs> happening is that the black people are now white supremacists. They want to create a society that they can't live in. That, that it, it sounds like a joke, but they're saying yeah. it. I mean, it's, well, it's on, on the plus side. I think if there's one thing we've learned, it's that white supremacy is really inclusive and diverse. Um, it's, 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 Everybody <laughs> can be a white supremacist. <laughs> so. That's very funny. You know, well, yeah. by their own logic, again, if these black people are white supremacists, then I guess welcome to the club. Well, every, everybody is a white supremacist. Yeah. There's nobody. I mean, they, I mean, That's they're it. they're down to calling children white supremacists. They don't care. <laughs> it's if you if you see anything outside of the narrative, yeah. right? If yeah. you acknowledge that piece of graphite on the ground. Yeah. You are a white supremacist, yeah. and um, and it, it's insulting. And and what I'm seeing now is this weird push. And I personally think it's kind of funny because it's just there's something about it to me that's very childish. And mm. thinking that you're just gonna just ban any opposing opinion from the internet mm. as if it never happened. Um, and I I think that their thought process is they they think that by banning people, um, suddenly the people that were following that person are gonna convert to their side. I think um, I think what they I don't think I think they've written off those people. Wait, already. first off, why did you get banned from Twitter? What was the la What was the the tweet that broke the camel's um, back? I I called some Nazis. Uh, I don't know if I can say the word. Actually, it was an offensive word, but um, I, I I called the Nazis a slur for Jewish people. You called the Nazis yes. a slur for Jewish people. Yeah. Okay, so you got banned. Yeah. Did you have strikes against your account before that? I don't think Twitter does strikes. No. I think they just they banned. just banned you. Yeah. They don't do strikes. Uh, not not that I'm aware of. Okay. But um, this came out on uh, when Jack Dorsey went on Joe Rogan's. Okay. And they, they were reading it out. And the thing is, like, whenever whenever you're arguing with Nazis online, there's an implicit assumption that you know you're not 
friendly to one another mm -hmm. and so use the, the most harsh language that you can think of and they use it against you and honestly it's part of a game that you play with them you know um and so basically i was just repackaging their own rhetoric and using it back against them okay uh, which also got me banned from patreon so you know uh twitter and patreon are in defense of the nazis don't be too offensive to them because you'll get banned that's so interesting. So you were actually attacking the other other yes. side. And then it sort of led to this mass exodus from the Patreon account, people saying that we have to stop putting our, you know, putting our art on these platforms if it's going to start, yep. if they're going to start banning people um, that are attacking yep. the actual Nazis. And there, there was a, and the thing is, if, if it was just um, a market decision by Patreon saying, well, look, we're a politically correct platform. If you're not politically correct, then we won't host you. Then that would be fine because, you know, another platform would spring up. Like, for example, a platform called Maker Support was created uh, not prior, uh, prior to this, but it, it was a small platform. But it was a good, clean platform and it looked nice. And so I thought, right, I'll use this then. And Stripe shut down their payment processing ability because people from Patreon were going over to there. And we actually ended up having to go to a platform called Subscribestar, which is not based in the United States, to get away from this kind of corporate honestly kind of fascist censorship right. where you know it's it's not enough that you just don't use one corporation you're not allowed to use another one right. and you've got to go to a foreign corporation just to be able to do that same thing that you did prior which right. essentially is saying that patreon has a monopoly on donations you know it's funny that you say that because there's um there's a girl in america named laura loomer who oh, right. yeah and she got banned from twitter for saying which is kind of ironic because now everyone is saying it um that ilhan omar uh works with you know works with care a terrorist she organization does. i know now now everyone's saying and she called she called ilhan omar anti-semitic and said that ilhan oh, omar mar married her brother and now it's now this is all national <laughs> now, well no it's now it's all national news true? yeah yeah she <laughs> filed there's some weird tax stuff there um right. and, you know, I don't, I don't follow too much of it, but yeah. um, basically now it's mainstream. It's yeah. a mainstream opinion. So most, actually most conservatives agreed that the tweet that she got banned for was kind of like, there was nothing in it that was, yeah, that I was, remember. that was false yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, but then she got banned from Instagram. She got banned from mm -hmm. Facebook. She got banned from PayPal. Uber. She got banned from Patreon. She got banned from Uber. She got banned from, uh, what's the opposite of Uber? What's the other one? Uh, uh, Lyft. Lyft. She yeah. got banned from Lyft. She got banned from Chase Bank. She can no longer bank, right? She got banned from Venmo. Right, so Jesus, there's she lived. There's no place she can put money. Yeah, there's no. I mean, it's unbelievable to see this. This is almost like you know, you you basically have been kicked out of the country. You're not allowed to be a human yeah, being, yeah. right? Well, yeah. It's ostracization from society. And right. The thing is, it, I I think that that is the key factor in radicalization as well. Mm. Uh, when when you essentially say that this person is not allowed to exist in society, do they get more moderate or do they get more, more radical? radical? And I right. think that in, inevitably all, all censorship leads to radicalization. And you can see this with the alt right at the moment. And these are following in the footsteps of the Christchurch shooter mm -hmm. who was following the footsteps of Anders Breivik. And I think that the, the sort of radical Nazi fringe at this point have just come to the conclusion that they won't even listen to our concerns, um, which they won't. They're going to, in fact, censor you and oppress you and and kick you out of society right the whole which is going things. to drive you crazy which, and to drive you is, to do more radical things and I, and I think that this is why in the last like few months we've had three alt-right shooters right and i think we'll just continue to get more and they'll probably get more effective as well right. um although the last couple have been fairly well the last one was very ineffective but um i i think they'll probably start taking it more seriously right and 
we're going to see it happen more and more often. Yeah, and I think this it goes one or two ways. You either radicalize the person or you force the person to become suicidal. I mean, yeah. you, you, I can't imagine waking up every day and just not being able to do anything. Everything I did today required some form of everything that I just said yeah. that Laura Loomer was banned from. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like whether you're Ubering yeah. here, lifting here, doing your banking. So the idea yeah. that you just say to somebody, you're not allowed to be a person anymore because we don't like your viewpoints, it's, it's you know, it's it's pretty scary. I mean, yeah. whether you agree, think about people that are allowed to bank. Oh. Murderers, rapists, pedophiles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have bank yeah. accounts, so uh, wh- where do we get? Politically incorrect people cannot off, do it. Yeah, yeah that's off the, yeah. off the platform. If you if you were a career um, rapist, because uh, sadly people don't get it's not you don't go to jail for life, right? For for raping someone, you don't. Um, if you got out of prison, you could open a bank account, you could do whatever you wanted in society. You could have a Twitter account, you could start a YouTube channel. Yeah, you know, they wouldn't ban a murderer. They wouldn't ban they wouldn't ban a murderer. <laughs> but if you have a conservative perspective, you insult the Nazis. If you insult in the, the Nazis, yeah, you can you can get banned. That's really yeah. interesting. Do you know what I find most interesting about it though? Is, is the um, the, the the thing that the thing that scares me, and this is all being done under the radar because nobody really thinks about it in these terms anymore. But um, I had to I had to study fascism, obviously, because you need to know what you're talking about when you're talking against something. And one of the things that um, uh, Mussolini and Giovanni Gentili wrote in the Doctrine of Fascism is that they not only wanted a totalitarian state which controlled every aspect of your life, and um, they wanted it to be what they called an ethical state which meant that it had a direction in which the civilization should travel. So everyone's subservient to the state, and then the state is going to mold you into a certain kind of person that's going to lead you into this glorious future. Mm. Um, yeah, it sounds terrifying. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, the, the, the way that they conceived of it is in opposition to the, the liberal state, which was a night watchman. That's how they describe it. It's there to protect your rights. You know, It's there to make sure that bad things don't arbitrarily happen to you, to protect your property rights, protect your person, protect your ability to just live You know, and get on with your lives in peace and harmony and you know, fulfill your own life trajectory that you decide. You know, you've got self-determination. They hated that. They wanted an ethical state. They wanted the state to have an agenda. They wanted it to be able to push in a certain direction, oppress dissidents, and everything was all all within the state. Nothing outside the state. Nothing against the state. Some formulation. The state like is that. God. Yeah, God. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, the state, state literally becomes God it, in it that does, scenario. Yeah. Um, but it's this kind of ethical conception that's missing from capitalism, right? And I, I think it was Adam Smith who put it like this: it's the the I'll paraphrase essentially, but like the moral, the moral benefit of capitalism is the anonymization of society. You don't need to know who you're doing business with. You don't need to know anything about them. You know that you're going to pre- present this amount of money. They're going to present whatever good. And if you agree on the price, then the exchange takes place. It's all peaceful. It's all tranquil, and everyone gets on with their lives. You don't need to know anything about these people. And so when these corporations start taking this kind of ethical stance. I can't help but think of things that Mussolini would agree with. Of course. You know, you know, Mussolini would agree that, of course, these corporations should get rid of these you know, communists or liberals or whatever, whoever the, the political enemy is. It doesn't matter about a fascist who has murdered someone or a fascist who has raped someone. That, that's okay. He's a fascist. Right. Therefore, in the ethical state, he's really not outside of the bounds of normality. People commit crimes. No, of course. So he's not going to be ostracized from society, but someone who's saying, well, maybe the state shouldn't control every aspect of our lives. Well, that's against the ethical state. So maybe that person does need to be dealt with. And it's the same, that's the same attitude these corporations are taking. Um, An ethical corporation is actually a terrifying thing because their ethical agenda might not be the same as yours, you know, and that's really, really concerning. Think about this. So you have Antifa and this is literally a gang. Antifa is a gang. They wear masks. They they don't even try to not look like a gang. They're not coming, (laughs) not exactly coming in collars and nice shoes, right? They show up 
they 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 look like little ninjas, right? Skinny yeah. little ninjas. Um, and they're they've been physically violent. They've punched people. They've they've if you saw what happened, they burned down Berkeley essentially oh, yeah, when Milo Yiannopoulos was going to speak there. Um, and they do this calling themselves the anti-fascists, right? So if yeah. you're going to come speak at a campus and they disagree with you, you're going to say they are anti-fascist by coming to shut down your speech and mm-hmm. using by any means necessary to do that. Yeah. Um, they're allowed to bank. <laughs> they, they're allowed to be on Twitter. They've got, they have their whole, they have their, uh, uh, the entire groups like Antifa Philly, Antifa yeah, New York. Yeah, yeah. You can go on Twitter and you can oh, find all of this. They're and they're actually Facebook, physically violent. Yeah. And, and they have to do with politics. So we can't even say but that. That's because they follow the ethical agenda of the, that's exactly order. right. You know, so they're, they're Mussolini's black shirts. They are. You know, they go around doing all sorts of violence, but right. Mussolini would have agreed with this. Of course, because he's they, do, they're doing they're his bidding. Guys. That's exactly, exactly right. And we're seeing that yeah. happening to see CNN sh- sanction them yeah. and the bank sanction them and say they can do yeah. business. They can go get a Venmo of these people that hate capitalism, by the way. They, they can go get an Uber, I mean, and, and head to uh, and the protest on their iPhones, on their yeah, iPhones yeah. and coordinate with yeah, one yeah. another, right? I mean, that's that's the big joke of yeah, it, yeah. right? But it is. Capitalism's terrible. Hey, let's meet up using my iPhone to connect with you. Um, and they do they do a lot of harm. But the, the, the thing that's most objectionable about Antifa, and it is exactly the same way as the fascist brown shirts or black shirts, it's, it's the, the violation of the liberal principle of nonviolence. Um, you can't be politically violent. That's the, the, the underlying rule of a liberal state. And so when you see all of these um, like left-wing verified journalists running around going punch Nazis on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, they're essentially saying we are in favor of the ethical state that will oppress a certain population in within you know our nation because we don't like them and it doesn't really matter why you don't like them it doesn't really matter who they are i mean you know the the nazis could have appropriated progressive rhetoric against jews 100 percent. they could have just said 100 well, no, whenever you see one you right know? and uh, why, what would have been the 100%. difference 100 you know? and so it's and but this is the thing this is the liberal the liberal state as the night watchman it's like no nobody gets punched you don't have a legitimacy to do this this is what tolerance and mutual understanding is all about you know right. this is about what a liberal state actually is and so really in the 21st century we're actually going completely away from the the liberal conception of what the state should be the night watchman that's impartial you know impartial. Well, we, we, we're not going away from it. it exists it just exists on the right today well that conservatives are the liberals that's what i say conservatives well, are the no, 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 liberals we're you, accepting because you, you consider yourself to be a liberal i always try to, pro- to provide a platform to liberals to come debate their ideas here's what i find they They're don't socialists. want to They're they don't socialists. want to they want to yeah. scream in a crowd they want to yeah. They want to pretend that something's happened. They want to create the illusion that they're fighting for peace. Okay, well, if, if your ideas are, are more superior, or you think that you guys are actually fighting for goodness, you would be so open to having a discussion oh, yeah. with someone because then you can slam them ideologically yeah. Yeah. and say, here's where I disagree with on this, yeah. here's disagree on that. They refuse you'd, to do you'd it. You'd be begging for a microphone. I would, oh my God, I would love to sit down with any yeah. of these leftists. I would love for an, somebody who's a member of Antifa to say, Candace, I'd love to come sit on your show and have a peaceful dialogue of what I mm-hmm. believe in versus what you believe in. Never would they ever accept that. It's always the other way around. Right, it's, it is. It's always the conservatives who are like, please come and talk to us. Mm-hmm. Please. You know, we, we and there is know. no conservative Antifa. No, no, there's not. There's you no know. liberal that can't uh, go speak on a college campus or university yeah, yeah. that gets shut down by a bunch of conservative gang members that and, show up. And yet they'll treat the Proud Boys as if they're Nazis. And right. I'm just sat there like the Proud Boys like they won't attack you. Mm-hmm. You know, they are there to to essentially pr- protect the the right of a conservative or someone non-progressive to speak at a certain place without being assaulted. Right. You know, 
And at the end of the day, if the police aren't going to do something about a bunch of black shirts who are, you know, who are screaming about socialism and Nazis and from attacking people, what what are the options? Right. You know, well, I will say that in, in all of these themselves. all of these uh, places that I've spoken, the police do defend me. I mean, every time yeah, that I've walked say, into school, the police come. Yeah, yeah. and they, it, they're they're in, at least in America, they are. You know, I think they really appreciate the fact that the, yeah, they have a president in there that's defending yeah. them, and that conservatives are saying the police are not bad. Um, and they they volunteer. Like I, yeah. I go to speak, they volunteer, and there's a horde of police officers that just make sure Antipa can't attack me. So I I couldn't be more pro, you know, police. (laughs) We shouldn't be in that goddamn position. I know, know, I know. To to allow this kind of, this sort of radical communist types, and they are communists, who will will just say, well, I don't like that person, therefore I am justified in attacking them. That to every, every mainstream centrist sort of mind, that should be, the the biggest set of red flags, you know, you should be like, right, okay, that's bad. Those people are bad. I don't care what they stand for. I don't care what they're trying to do. Procedurally, what they want, what the, the action they're going to take, it, it's a complete moral wrong. There's no way of dressing it up. It doesn't matter how much of a Nazi this Nazi is. You know, when they start attacking someone, the police will arrest them too. Right. You know, it doesn't matter. It's the attacking that is the problem. That's I don't the care problem. what you believe. You right. Because you can change your beliefs at a whim. You can say, oh, actually, I'm a this now, I'm a that now. It's right. like, well, who cares? You know, what you're doing is what we punish. Because we don't punish thought crimes, or at least we didn't punish thought crimes. We do now, obviously. Right. So but, where, do you, where do you think this is all heading? Tyranny. You really think so? Well, we're already in it. Okay. I'm I'm currently being investigated by the Birmingham police for a joke I told because it was at the expense of one of our MPs. Ninety feminist uh, academics, MPs, and activists tried to get me deplatformed from being able to run for office because I told this joke. Wow. Yeah. And then you've got like Mark Meekin, uh, Count Dankula, who's arrested and charged eight hundred pounds over this over a joke he made. And they didn't even they didn't even give him the opportunity to not pay it either. That's the thing, because it's one thing being um, charged for a joke, but it's another thing saying you're not even allowed to martyr yourself. Because that was the that was the great problem with totalitarian regimes. Ultimately, is that usually like a Rosa Parks, you know, someone would stand up and say, you know, what? I don't care, do do your worst, but I'm going to resist this. And a totalitarian regime prevented that from happening because a martyr is a point around which rebels can start accumulating and so you just disappear you know it wouldn't be in the news it wouldn't be you know you wouldn't be famous no one would know that you've martyred yourself and so are you really a martyr you've just disappeared right um and this is effectively what the british government did with count dankula they didn't they didn't say right here's a bill for 800 pounds will be you, you you've got to pay this and if you don't pay this this you'll is the one jail. that got count dankula is the one that got guy, tried yeah. because his dog yes. did white supremacy yes it did signs. a nazi salute yes Okay. It, obviously a joke, but right. it doesn't matter because we're at the point now where we're coming for the comedians. Right. Um, but this, but this thing, like normally you, okay, you're being charged. Does dog serve time? No, I believe it's still free. Okay. It's, it's actually at large converting people to Nazism as we speak. <laughs> yeah. um, but this is the thing. He should have been given the opportunity to say, no, I have principled opposition to what you're doing. I'm not going to pay. You're going to have to come and arrest me because that would have been a signal to the people around him saying, look, there's something wrong here, and I'm going to stand on principle, and I'm going to follow through with the courage of my convictions. But instead, they just took the money out of his account. So he can't even st- make a make a statement that way. Right. So it's effectively kind of tearing out his tongue in that regard. Um, but yeah, no, we're in, in Britain, we're at the point where we are so unfree that it's the class clowns that are being targeted now. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, me, me Dankula, the, you know, we're... we're we, we were the class clowns, you know, we're the guys who sat at the back of the class with boredom thing and we're just telling jokes or whatever. And now they've come for us. 
So that's, that's um, a great way of putting it. They're coming for the class clowns now. I mean, that's happening true. in America too. I mean, yeah. Kevin Hart, you tweeted yeah. something homophobic yeah. years ago, yeah. right? And yeah. now you can't you can't yeah. host whatever it was that he was the hosting. I think it was yeah. the Oscars, and he actually entered an apology and all this stuff. I would never, no. ever, ever never apologize for something that I said 14 years ago. I, I, I'd yeah. say, are you are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. I, I actually probably laugh at the yeah, at the yeah. interviewer. I mean, just what? be like, are you are you absurd? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of well, question is this? Never apologize if you think you did nothing wrong. Right. But even even if you did do something wrong, right? Where are we going? Where are we heading in terms of forgiveness? Well, like, are apologize. you allowed to evolve? Are you allowed to change an individual? Are no, you no, allowed no. to be stupid as a child and then grow up and be an adult? So I mean, the, this this is interesting, right? Because the the only apology worth giving and the only apology worth receiving is a personal one. So if I if I had offended you personally. Um, I don't care what the BBC, if the BBC was writing an article saying, oh, noted, noted misogynist Carl Benjamin says something terrible about Candace Owens, uh, I'm not going to make a public apology because the BBC aren't the ones who are offended. Right. The people watching or reading, they, they don't know, you know, they don't care. But if I was speaking to you now and you said, look, that really hurt my feelings, I'd appreciate an apology. And if I thought that, that I'd done something wrong, I would say, well, yeah, I'm really sorry about this. You know, right. I didn't think about, you know, because I would care about your feelings. It's an interpersonal relationship. A public apology is a different kind of culture because when I'm doing that with you, I'm saying I feel guilty. You know, and so it, we wouldn't have to have an audience. It could just be me and you talking right. in private. And I'd say, look, I feel bad for what I did, you know, and so I am sorry, and I hope that goes some way to making some sort of restitution. It would be a personal guilt-driven apology between me and you. A public apology is about shame. Now that's, that's a, exactly a right. Totally different thing. It's about essentially saying that the group determines your own moral compass, and whether you like it or not, you're going to be shamed into it. And if not, they they. We're going to make a public spectacle of you, and it's not about you. Then it's about everyone watching. And it's saying, about it's about taking you down and then making you get, get on your knees and saying that it, we are now. Yeah, but what that is is a, that's a demonstration to everyone else saying, "Listen, right? If you don't follow our rules, mm -hmm. the, the, the rules of the collective, then that'll be you." That's you know? honestly and that is the way I felt. Yeah, that's the way I felt when I first criticized the Me Too movement. I didn't like three yeah. tweets, and they went nuts. It was trending on Twitter, yeah. and it basically they were. I mean, it was so bizarre. They were saying that I wanted women to be raped because I said I don't. <laughs> I literally said I don't support the Me Too movement. I mean, Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres, like her producers, everybody in the world. It seemed like suddenly saw this tweet, and then Jake yeah. Tapper, you must delete the tweet. Everyone, you yeah. must. Delete. I did not delete the tweet. I didn't apologize. Yeah. I said I stand by everything I said. Yeah. I don't support the Me Too movement. You yeah. can not support this movement but yeah. also support rape victims it is possible Amazing. what ended up happening yeah. eventually the firestorm left I, I stood on my own two feet and then the four or five months later the brett kavanaugh thing happened and suddenly everyone realized that there was something wrong with the me too movement right and it, it's hard i think yeah. when you when you're under it it's there's so much pressure That's it. it's, that it's like yeah. if you apologize it'll just be alleviated but i say to people if you apologize it's not going to go away you, yeah. you think that that it's going to satisfy me think i'm sorry or i could have rephrased that better is going to make them feel better no it's just going to make them go ha we got her and now we can always stick her with this thing yeah. because she acknowledged that she was exactly. wrong you and that she fault. does yeah. want you know women to be raped. No, that's not that's not what I meant. If you went into that, you're probably sick, right? Yeah. I don't support the Me Too movement. You know, that's but, it. But then, then what they're also doing is turning you into a liar. You know? I know you're not sorry. I wasn't. I was but not at all sorry. Say so yeah, I wasn't at all, all sorry. I said it the... makes women look weak and that we, yeah. we can't differentiate. We don't have the the ability to turn around and say to someone because this is when they were starting to conflate like a bad pass mm. with like men are now monsters. Like if a guy. Yeah hits on you this guy should be me too and should lose his career and i said this is now this is becoming something that's really monstrous it's monstrous right yeah. so like i i'm a pretty strong
strong woman. If a guy hits on me and I don't like it, I can turn around and say, hey, I'm not into this, you know, yeah. back up. They were saying like we were just the weakest women in the world. And a part of that, as you were talking about with what you have to acknowledge is to accept this movement is that women are less than men, that we do not know how to deal with men under any circumstances, yeah. that we don't know how to tell a man, no, thank you, no, wasn't really feeling that day. And, and I basically, to become a part of that movement would have had to acknowledge my own weakness. And it wasn't the experience that I was having growing up and I want to differentiate myself. And if you guys are so pro-women, you should accept that we're not all the same. Yeah. You know, one person's experience does not dictate everyone else's experiences. I agree, I agree. <laughs> and the, the thing that annoys me about it though is it's, like you say, it never goes away. And so you're always going to have admitted that you're a bad person in public. So anyone at any point can bring this up to shut you up, to mm -hmm. shut you down. And it it really is about silencing the other members of the group. And it, it, it really just comes down to what kind of society you want to live in. Do you want to live in a kind of society where people will stand around the street and point at you and say you're a bad person? Or do you want to live in a society that's a bit more civilized than that? Because right. that's, that's the worst, that's the worst extremity of like a kind of cult-like mentality where it's fear of being ostracized from the group and the group is threatening ostracization right. under pain of certain uh, points. And it, it's, again, a, a part of a, a sort of like the ethical society where they've got a particular direction and they're going to kick you out of it if mm -hmm. you don't do what you're told. And it's the total opposite of the, the sort of anonymous night watchman liberal conception of society. And they will all say that they're doing the exact right thing. Mm -hmm. That's the worst part. When they're dogpiling on you when like Jake Tapper. I mean, I would have just retweeted with so mate, you, you are scum, delete your account. Right. Every single person who engages in that is scum. I know. Every single one. And they don't feel good about themselves afterwards. They feel ashamed of themselves, but they can't say it because what they're going to do. Right. You know, they are all scum. Every single one of those people. You should tell them to their face next time. Oh, I mean, they would never sit down with me face to face. Oh. They're all terrified of me. I'm like, I'm, I'm slippery like an eel. They've tried to shut me yeah. down so many times and I fall yeah. through the cracks because they have to acknowledge yeah. that that they're a fraud, right? Your oh, whole are, yeah. your whole brand is, yeah. I do it for minorities. I do it so women can have a voice <laughs> and you have a minority woman who says, no, thank you when you attack her. So you have to acknowledge that this no, wasn't about minorities. This wasn't about women. Yeah. And it was about your own self-serving ego and narcissism. And yeah. that's it. Yep. Um, so we wrap every episode of the Candace Owens show. Mm -hmm. You get to leave a video message for the world. Okay. So you look Whoa. at this camera, mm -hmm. which just, you know, everybody in the entire world watches my show. Of you look at this camera and you get two minutes and you can say whatever you want that you feel that every person needs to hear. And you don't get that much time to think about it. Oh God. Um... Two minutes on the clock on your mark, get set world. I give you Carl Benjamin. Um, you are a flawed person and should probably exercise more restraint in your life and more forgiveness to the people around you. I love when people do the one sentence ones. That's all I can think of. Right? That's great. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.